at least for me, here's, here's my vulnerability coming up again. But, but maybe we all have those places where we are afraid to show up as who we really are for fear of how we will be perceived. You know, will I be rejected? Hi, and welcome. This is You May Contribute a Verse. I'm Brenna Jennerette, Kidlet author, mom, rock climber, and co-host of this podcast. I'm joined by my co-host, Kidlet author, dad, and science communicator, Josh Munkin, and our assistant editor, John Seymour, an author, illustrator, family man, senior informatics analyst. And that was today's guest, Elisa Boxer, who's published such nonfiction gems as Splash, The Voice That Won the Vote, and her newest release, Hidden Hope. I want to thank Elisa right off the bat here for being so incredibly vulnerable with us about how she puts herself on the page while writing someone else's story. The common thread in Elisa's work are all about breaking barriers, finding your voice, and being your own hero. Guys, prepare to be inspired. And make sure to listen all the way through to find out how Elisa won a Caldecott medal. And no, she's not an illustrator. Being vulnerable can look like a lot of things, and sometimes it looks like trying something new. Graphic novels are on the rise, and they're not just for illustrators. If you've ever wondered how to format one, check out Writing the Graphic Novel, coming up on April 5th through Justin Cologne's Kidlit Hive. This is a six-week class taught by comic writer Daniel Malion. Classes will cover writing, outlining, thumbnailing, and scripting a graphic novel. Sign up at kidlithive.com, where Justin offers affordable and inclusive classes. Everything from individual panels and webinars to multi-week classes, each one chock full of agents, editors, authors, and illustrators from across the Kidlit world. Justin's classes are the bee's knees. Check them out at kidlithive.com. And now here's Elisa's verse. Uh, it's good to see you too. Hey, we we have to clarify because we were we were both at odds on this. How do we pronounce your name? Is it Elisa or it Eliza? is Elisa? Bless your heart. But you know, I get all sorts of variations, and I really Josh got it right. I you know what with my name too, I feel like I also get a lot of variations because people tend to think at least when I was younger, they tend to think the double N is a typo. So I used to get Brenda a lot, and I'm like, that is not it. And when I was little, I used to I used to um, introduce myself as Brenna No D because I was just like like over it. I'm like, it's not it's not it's not Brenda. Like, please don't call me that. <laughs> you know, exactly. or Brianna. I get that a lot. Yeah. Exactly. And it you know you start to get a complex. At least I I mean I I have my whole life like wow am I. <laughs> A weirdo because no one can pronounce yeah. my name now i just i think it's you know it's nice it's a little different but yeah growing up i just like it, it's not hard enough right in those angst filled years where you you feel unsure of yourself totally no totally me. yeah um, yeah, my name definitely contributed to that no one could pronounce it Alyssa, eliza of your being you're just like dudes this is that's not that is not correct i took the other the other side of the coin than how you did and i I had a very flat arc about it i was like nope you guys are wrong like that is not my name like please say my name right so it was like you Good guys need to change you. figure it out like i'm just gonna maintain my <laughs> that is fantastic teach me oh wise one to have that okay you confidence. guys heard it here first yeah, because she, I'm said like, I'm I, she said I'm wise. I'm sorry. I'm so 
So we have to sympathize, though, with one of your protagonists. At least our names are not something like Ethelda Blibtree. Blibtree. Yes. I know. That's a tough one, too. Um, yeah, I, I had to look up how to pronounce it. And it is so it was interesting. Ethelda Blibtree and Bleibtree were the two pronunciations. So I, I am still not sure exactly how, because even when I looked up the pronunciation, I got two different ways. However, this is a very exciting development in that book splash. I just heard from one of her relatives um, who was so excited about the book. We actually did not know that, that there were descendants. She is a great, great, great niece. Um, and she wrote to me saying how much she loved the book and her, so her middle, yeah, I think it's her middle name is actually Bleib Tree or Blibe Tray, or um, I will actually probably be contacting her after I get off this podcast to ask because, you know, usually those friends, pronunciation guides online are pretty accurate, but this one gave me two different ones. So I go, I say bleeb tree, but um, yeah, now I have a way to know for sure because I have been contacted by a relative. Yeah. So the, her family was not aware. I mean, you, you were not aware of her family when you wrote it. Anyone to sort of like coordinate right. the book with. Right. And you know, that's, that's always such a, a source of angst for me because I'm I'm terrified that some long lost relative is going to come out of the woodwork and say that I've gotten something wrong or how dare I do this and you know that's never been the case it's they've always been super grateful and you know become friends and helped to promote the book and so i was i was thrilled yeah the same thing happened with my first book the voice that won the vote um a a descendant of feb Byrne, the mom who helped save suffrage wrote to me and and he was super thrilled and um you know now we're buds and yeah, I guess there's a pattern here, right? Like, sorry, my name's so tough to pronounce. Um, I'm worried that I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> um, yeah, I need to work on this confidence thing, apparently. Because it always works out better than I expect. Just write, write about yeah, loving people instead. Or just make sure that the trail has gone cold in terms of people who could object to your mispronunciation. <laughs> <laughs> it's, right. I mean, it's kind of refreshing, though, to hear that, I mean, everyone we've had on, right? I mean, everybody out there, all these big name authors, yourself included, you know, you're, you're real people, you're writers. And at the core, you know, we have a lot of this like imposter syndrome and wondering, you know, am I the right person to do this? Am I stepping on somebody's toes? Did I pronounce this correctly? Like all the stuff. And I mean, you, you're like, your books are brilliant and they're like super successful. And just, it's just, I, I appreciate you being so vulnerable, vulnerable about it and sharing that with us because it's nice to know that even 
you know, the greats have these moments and it's like, you're not, we're not just alone out there thinking like, oh my gosh, like, you know, I did this wrong or this is just, you know, this is all just crap. You are so sweet. I, I (laughs) love you. And yes, you know, part of that, um, please continue. Don't let me interrupt you. you. Part of that, I, I gotta say, I, this, so this book that's about to release next month, Hidden Hope, um, it is about a, a little known, amazing, a heroine that used this hollowed out wooden duck to hide secret documents from the Nazis. Um, and, and, you know, she was a remarkable teenager and woman. And however, at its core, I do believe this is a book about never having to hide the truth of who you are. And, you know, I don't believe that anything should be compared to the Holocaust because except for the Holocaust, I, I, it's definitely, you know, there are too many comparisons out there, but I also believe that every book, including this one has to have that underlying internal resonance that people can relate to, um, you know, or else I'm not doing my job. If it's only, a book about what it appears to be, then you're you're not going to get that relatability and that resonance. So in this case, I have found myself being really vulnerable because, um, you know, it is ultimately a book about the importance of being the truth of who you are and and never hiding yourself for anyone else. I mean, of course, during World War II, people had no choice. Um, But now, I think for all of us, um, at least for me, here's here's my vulnerability coming up again, but, but maybe we all have those places where we are afraid to show up as who we really are for fear of how we will be perceived. You know, will I be rejected? Will I uh, be judged? Um, and so then our challenge becomes, okay, yes, maybe I will be judged or maybe I will be rejected, but I am going to show up anyway as the deepest, truest version of who I am. So. If there is a takeaway from this book, um, and I think it's pretty much all my books, it is that. It's that it's that young readers feel empowered to show up as who they are in the world and and have a voice and hopefully take action about what matters to them. It certainly seems consistent with the work of yours that I've consumed. Do you start with that goal or do you start with the story and kind of work in the theme? I definitely start with the story. Um, Everything I just mentioned really was not on my radar and did not occur to me until after, not only after the book was done, but um, really once I started thinking about it and even promoting it 
Um, yeah, so for me, it definitely always starts with this story. And it was really intriguing. I mean, I ran across the photo of this hollowed out wooden duck on the Yad Vashem website, the Holocaust Memorial Museum's website. And I thought, wow, this would make an amazing children's book because here was something that is a toy or looked like a toy. And it was used to hide false identity papers and and save so many lives. And, you know, then I ran into the challenge. Well, how how do we make this age appropriate? Uh, the material is far too scary for children who are reading picture books. But, you know, then I remembered, well, kids are really smart and we need to be actually introducing hard topics in a way that is age appropriate, certainly, and that is relatable. So yeah, to answer your question, it, it started out as a story about this teenage French resistance fighter who used this hollowed out duck to smuggle documents. And um, that was the story. And I, I worked long and hard on this. And it was only, yeah, I, I'd say a year after it was done that I started thinking about these themes of um, finding hope in unexpected places or never having to hide the truth of who you are. Um, I mean, certainly there are the more common ones like resilience and determination and perseverance. And and I hope those are takeaways too. But um, yeah, with this one and with now looking back on my previous books and looking ahead to the ones that are coming out, there are themes that are even deeper than that. And I'm, I'm sure there are hopefully themes that I haven't even thought of that people will be able to re relate um, through whatever lens is unique to them. I mean, I think we write through whatever lens is unique to us. And so, you know, who am I really to say what someone else is going to take away from these books? Because I don't have their experiences, I don't have their lens, I don't, I don't have their life. So I hope that people tell me um, what their takeaways are or just feel them or just know them. And I think sometimes this stuff is subconscious, you know, they're, they're left with a certain feeling and, and it has some impact and maybe that can't be articulated and that's great too. Yeah. And it's so, it's so interesting because nonfiction in general, right. Is sort of a, I mean, it's its own animal, right. In the picture book world. And it can be really difficult to do well um, because you don't want to just have it come across as like a list of facts. It can't be too boring. You have to have a hook, right. You have to like involve the kid. And also you like somehow, like your books are so good at this. Like they do a really good job of telling these really hard stories. And then they also are, they connect on this like emotional level. So how, how, how do you go about putting like yourself on the page when it's somebody else's story? Cause that's, that's so hard. Right. And you do it so well, but it's, I feel like myself included, it's really hard to sort of find that line and figure out how I'm going to do that and do justice to the story and, and make it my own. 
It's such a great question. And yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, I do know that a lot of projects that I first feel would make wonderful stories, I don't end up pursuing because I don't feel that emotional resonance myself. Um, so the stories that I end up writing, and again, this, this isn't really, it's not a conscious thing when I'm actually writing them. Um, so it's only in hindsight that I realize this or, you know, when I'm halfway through and I realize that this is going to work out. The stories that I do end up writing are generally a reflection of something in my life. Um, you know, I, I do know as a child, I never really felt like my voice mattered. I never felt like I had a healthy outlet for expressing my emotions, even feeling my emotions. Um, you know, that just wasn't something that was really supported. So I turned to writing and um, I, I emailed you a manuscript that was my first one about grief that I wrote when I was in kindergarten after my dog had died. Um, so yeah, you asked me for, for a manuscript for the, the Dead Manuscript Society and I sent you one. It probably wasn't what you had in mind because I was, it was, it was perfect. You know, I was six. But I do have that here. Um, so <laughs> so I, I think that in order to write someone else's story, I do have to resonate with it emotionally, whether, you know, and it, it's not going to be on an obvious level. I mean, for example, um, with Ethelda, she was the first American woman to win three Olympic gold medals in swimming. She overcame polio. You know, she broke barriers everywhere she went. She got arrested. She took off her socks when women were supposed to swim with these itchy black socks and and Nancy Pelosi I mean she grew up thinking that women were supposed to stay behind the scenes and out of the spotlight and their only role in politics was to help men get elected so there is this theme of um women's voices and their actions being pretty loud and and just smashing through uh, glass ceilings, in the case of, of Nancy Pelosi, marble ceilings and breaking all these barriers. And that certainly was not something that I ever did. Um, but I think inside I really wanted to. And, and all I wanted to know was that my voice mattered and writing was my outlet for that since um, I couldn't really, I didn't feel like I could speak and be heard, which is kind of ironic because then I went into a career in broadcast journalism, which is probably partly why I did that. Um, am I even answering your question at all? I think the short answer is that there is, there is always an emotional 
resonance for me when it comes to writing other people's stories, but it may not be apparent. It may be a lens that maybe it's something that I have healed from or have tried to heal from that I want to pass on to young readers. I mean, I want them to feel like their voices matter. I want them to know that uh, they can identify what matters to them and harness the courage to take action based on that uh, because I don't feel like I knew that as a child. Um, but it's something that I try to do now and I try to do it through my I'm writing. I'm going to say the takeaway there is I'm so glad that people got your name wrong growing up because I feel like that in part was motivation for you to be like, look, it listen to was. me, <laughs> right? I'm loud right. and I have opinions and this is how I'm going to do it. So thank goodness. And you turned to writing and now we have all these amazing books because of that. It's time for this week's book reviews. Hot on the heels of our conversation with Allison Weiss at Pixel and Ink Books, Josh's review is for Plotting the Stars Book One, Moon Garden, published by Pixel and Ink. Michelle Berry's debut is billed as a sci-fi update to the classic Secret Garden. It's packed with a bunch of stuff. Kids overcoming stodgy grown-ups, navigating parental expectations, discovering your power, and weaving bonds of friendship in a mysterious place. According to Josh, he would have loved this book when he was nine and is very excited for his now nine-year-old to get her hands on it. From John Seymour, our assistant editor, Quacks Like a Duck by Steph Campisi and illustrated by Maria Lubdova. Moving to a new neighborhood is never easy, especially if it's thousands of miles away and especially if you're a platypus. Regardless, Petunia the platypus does her darndest to fit in, but unfortunately, after arriving at a party she was invited to, she quickly realizes she might have missed the memo that it was a costume party. Now Petunia takes the spotlight as the other animals try to interpret what she must be dressed as. A duck? A platypus? Or maybe a beaver? A colorful tale of a platypus's journey towards understanding and self-acceptance. Quacks Like a Duck cleverly navigates the topic of identity and the importance of being yourself while bringing a wholesome, down-under vibe to the mix. And this week I reviewed Lyric McCurrigan, Secret Librarian by Jacob Sager Weinstein, illustrated by Vera Brogskall. This book has it all, henchmen, book-eating moths, an evil nemesis who tunnels out of the depository for the criminally naughty, like he's in the Shawshank Redemption, and of course, an unlikely hero. This book is fast-paced, creative, and fun. Check it out today. Check the show notes for the links to the authors, illustrators, and where to buy the books, and make sure to get your own reviews or library requests in. They're the number one thing that can help an author's sale. And before we get back to our show, here's this week's community shoutouts. Brittany Pomelis wants to give Lori Camardi a big wheelie shoutout on her debut of Big Truck Playdate, released on March 7th with Beaming Books. Thanks for being a wonderful CP, and thanks for sharing the publishing road with me. Congrats, friend. From John Seymour, our assistant editor, as someone who was, is, brand new to the Kidlit community, I stumbled upon a podcast that might be interesting to listen to and thought maybe I could learn something about the Kidlit world, so I started listening. And I need to say that this particular podcast was such a pleasure to listen to. 
it also quickly presented itself as an immensely valuable tool for learning the ins and outs of the industry, for listening to other authors' perspectives, and for better understanding what it means to create literature for children. Unfortunately, I can't remember the name of the podcast. You may contribute a verse reminds me of it. <laughs> Josh and Brenna, the work you do for this podcast and for the writing community as a whole is nothing short of remarkable, and I'm very thankful for everything you do. I am also especially grateful that you've allowed me to be a part of this wonderful adventure. Thanks again. John, I cannot thank you enough for these kind words. Josh and I love, love, love doing the show, and I'm so glad it resonated with you enough to reach out to us. We're so grateful to have you on board. From Jason Peterson, sending a shout out to Vivian Kirkland and Kaylee Pugh for their recent respective Kidlet writing contests. While the contests themselves were a lot of fun to participate in, the even cooler thing was that both events put new books into the hands of young readers and supported indie bookstores. The 50 Precious Words Literacy Initiative and the Kids' Choice Kidlet Writing Contest book Judge Book Drive those are both tongue twisters, sorry, <laughs> were both outstanding and much appreciated, and I'm sure a lot of work to coordinate. Thank you. And here's one from me. I wanted to shout out Ebony Lynn Mudd for sharing her expertise with me. What was supposed to be a short Zoom chit chat about my manuscript turned into a two-hour information exchange. Ebony, you are incredibly generous with your knowledge and time, and I cannot thank you enough. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Have your own community shout out and click our community shout out link and email the shout out to verseshowpod at gmail.com and we'll shout it out on the next episode. Thank you for making the Kidlet Joy Bubble a little bit bigger this week. And now back to our show. And can you please read the puppy story at the end of this? My favorite part is the Caldecott in the middle, <laughs> the handwritten Caldecott. It's so cute. It's so cute. Oh my goodness, right? So there there was my confidence. Um, well, the funny thing is, I had no idea at the time. Again, I was in kindergarten, you know, I just knew that I loved books and I loved these shiny metals that were on some of the books. And so I remember asking my kindergarten teacher, Mrs. Sturgeon, you know, what is this? And she said, oh, it's the Caldecott. So I thought, oh, wow, someday, wouldn't it be wonderful to, to win a Caldecott? Oh, wait, I can write a Caldecott book right now. I did not know that it was for illustrations. And I can pretty much assure you that my illustrations have not advanced beyond the ones that you see in The Kitten and the Puppy, which was written in 1976. Can we share those pictures when we when we share the episode? Would that be okay? Yeah. Sure. They're, I mean, they're great. They're great. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's it's um it's pretty funny. And yeah, the about the author, I I referred to that again. I wanted to make sure people knew this book had one the Caldecott. Um, yeah, I think that was probably the last time I had that level of confidence. And um, but I, I will say that the kitten and the puppy, and other things. So I don't. I'll, I'm holding it up for you right now. I know there's no no video on this <laughs> podcast, but um, you know it did have a subhead and other things but yes you you have the cover and you're you're more than welcome to share but i i wrote this after my beloved dog frankie had died because i it, it was the only way i knew how to express grief. we just got a new puppy and her name is frankie <laughs> oh that's amazing 
<laughs> yeah, Thank right? Thank you, universe. Okay, so. Frankie lives on. Frankie does live on. Oh, you know, I, I've been, I've been talking to Frankie lately and that's, that's beautiful. I'm so glad that you told me that. Okay. So the kitten wants a puppy. That's that, uh, the, uh, name of this chapter. Once there was a kitten, she was very sad. She wanted a puppy. And you can't see all of the spelling errors. They're really funny. And I went back and I corrected them and I corrected <laughs> them wrong. Um, a puppy with curly black fur and a red collar. But she knew it was no use. She said to herself, and I'm going to, it, it's so hard to read my own <laughs> writing with all this. Oh, it's, it's, oh. I might find a puppy, but probably not with curly black fur and a red collar. She was crying for she knew she wouldn't even find a puppy. She looked in a dark cave, no puppy in there. So she started to cry. And she, that crying kitten cried a big puddle and a duck came and swam in it. And that gave Aww. her some company. And I believe that's the illustration that you have. I love that. The, the duck crying. Or I can send you a close up of this. You have this page, the duck is crying or the kitten is crying and the duck comes and swims in it. And that's her new pet. Okay, so now we're chapter two called The Miracle. And it's corrected like three times, but it's still not spelled right. <laughs> the kitten wandered along the country, knowing she would not find a puppy. When suddenly she bumped into something. It had black curly fur and a red collar. The kitten said, get out of here, wait. W-E-I-G-H-T. <laughs> I knew how to spell that. Never mind that, said the dog. Now you have got what you wanted. The summer is just beginning and we have plenty of time. Aww. I I love that. I love that you shared, a, I mean, a de an actual dead manuscript, but from like when you were so little. I love that so much. Thank you for sharing it with us. <laughs> My pleasure. My pleasure. And yes, there's the um Josh, I can see it here. Um She got you, Josh. There is the about the author. That's right. Where she has written many books and likes to. I sent you that part. And right? and enjoys the process. Right. <laughs> it, it, somehow I got off track for like 45 years and did other things and then came back to this. Um, so it's actually wonderful to have that reminder that I did like doing this at one point and probably even loved it and still love it and am pinching myself that I get to do this every day. And um, yeah, so thank you for letting me share that dead manuscript that lives on um, and is one Caldecott, yeah. Yeah, a self-awarded Caldecott. What I like most about this section is 
<clears throat> of this specific episode is the notion of, you know, you've got Hidden Hope coming out in a month. Your editor is going to listen to this and go like, where, where's the snippet of <laughs> where's the Where's the promo of this book that's coming out? We're giving a lot of attention to this manuscript. From four I mean, it ago. won a medal, Josh. Uh, it won a medal. I like that. <laughs> that's right. So... Mm. <laughs> Yes. So, no, you mentioned my editor. It's Howard Reeves at Abrams, um, who is amazing. And Sarah Sproul also, excuse me, at Abrams. And Amy June Bates, her illustrations. My goodness. Um, You know, I, I have, I do not know how I got so fortunate because, no, I, I sell my words. That's, that's what authors do, right? We sell our words. They're, they're a document, they're words on a page. And somehow these brilliant illustrators who are just the best in the business, I mean, with, with every book I've done and, and the books coming out over the next couple of years, now I've, I've seen either the preliminary art or the final art and it blows me away because somehow my words that I have strung together in a word document become these works of art. I mean, a picture book, I I didn't do that. I put the words together. I wrote the document. My agent, Stephen Chudney, who is also, you know, he's just incredible. He sells the words and then these, these editors pick them up. So really, you know, I'm not doing a ton here. The fact that you see these gorgeous picture books, that's the team. I mean, that's the illustrator, that's the editor, that's the design team, the art director, and everyone else involved. And it astounds me that I can hold something in my hand and it feels like a treasure. It feels like a work of art. I mean, I've always felt that way about books. I don't read anything on Kindle or I mean I have a landline you probably guessed this I wouldn't even know that I use a Kindle you know I don't know how to watch my television because it's smart like it's not smart because I like there are no buttons for me to push or knobs to turn Um, I was gonna say I thought maybe there was still a UHF setting yeah what even is that I don't understand that language so But I get, so I hold these books and, you know, yeah, they say my name on them, but really my contribution was a Word document that ended up turning into this piece of miraculousness because of all these other brilliant people. That's, I mean, that's very humble of you. Um, And you you probably more 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 credit than that but yeah i mean uh, that notion of it it being a team effort i think is is well put but that it's it's semi-related to something i wanted to ask about and see what you what you thought about um about nonfiction. the number of times i've been with my kids to the library um we go to the fiction section and i pick out things that are um you know of interest and entertaining and maybe semi-educational to them i think about the ways that at school my daughter and now daughters both um explore things they their their natural interest gravitates toward nonfiction because it's a way that 
they can explore the world independently, explore their own interest levels. I wonder if you think about these picture books, these, you know, miraculous works of art, to use your term, as things that are in themselves kind of subversive, um, that that allow you to sort of, I guess, I, I allow you to present stories that... Um, might go swept under the rug or might might be too small to be um you know th things that parents might go like oh Thelda Bleebtree I I don't I have no idea who that is I'm not going to check that book out for uh for my kid whereas you know if there's a kid that's exploring the library you you get the point that I'm that I'm sort of making is is um you get to elevate some hidden moments that's exactly right and that is my one of my biggest hopes for these books is that we we are bringing to light and to life these unsung heroes who have these messages um, for young readers that have these these emotional takeaways uh, yeah that that might go undiscovered. And I think especially with the unsung heroes, you know, these these little known figures in history whose stories might not get the big, bold attention. I think the very strong message that sends to kids, even if it's subconscious, is that you can be a hero too. Now, you can harness that courage within yourself. Um, we just got we just got an incredible review from Booklist that addressed this. That that our protagonist helps kids will hopefully help kids realize that they can be their own hero. That they can harness that hero inside. And I think it's it's so easy to feel like we alone can't make a difference. But when children read about someone in history who had no idea at the time that they were going to make history, right? Like no one wakes up and says, today I'm going to make history or through my actions, I'm going to do this so someday um, children all over can know about me and know about how amazing I am. I mean, no one, no one sets out to do that. So I, it's such a great question, Josh, because I do hope that even on a subconscious level, children reading these stories will realize that they can make a difference too, that they can be their own hero, that they have the power to create change based on something that matters to them. You know, I tell kids in virtual visits, what makes you angry? What makes you sad? What do you, what, what situation do you look at and say, okay, this needs to change. This isn't right. And then, you know, sometimes they'll write a story or a poem or an essay or, or something based on that. And, that's so important to me because if a young reader grows up knowing that they have the power within themselves to create change based on what matters deeply to them and 
they're encouraged by their parents or their teachers or maybe someone who's reading the book to them if they can't read it themselves. No, that's everything, right? Like that's how we change the world is by people knowing that their experiences matter. My, my son is only five and we will often, you know, read these big stacks of books from the library and some of them are nonfiction. Some of them are just, you know, funny to be funny because, you know, we get like a whole range of stuff. And we'll often read these books that are really well done and they're on these like heavy subjects and I'll stop to sort of point stuff out or, you know, make a point just, just to make sure he's like getting it and following along. And he's always just like, I know, like, yeah, like mama, I saw or whatever, or he'll like, you know, pick up stuff that I didn't see on certain pages and like, point it out. And I'm just like, okay, like you don't, this book is not didactic. It was done really well. I don't now of myself need to double down and be like, look, do you understand what's happening here? Because he he picks up way more than I, you know, give him credit for sometimes. Cause I just kind of, you know, like you sort of don't think they're paying attention or following along, but I mean, he really is. And he's like picking up all this stuff. So it's like, yeah, any of these books is just, it's so important to have them around. Exactly. They are absolutely getting so much more than we realize they're getting. And even more than they realize now, it may not be until years later that they take action on something because somewhere inside they remember that some little known historical figure took a risk and took a chance based on something that was really important to them. Do you think, I'm going to build on your, your point about you being sort of um, the supplier of a Word document, <laughs> which um, I resonate with, with some of that as, um, as a person, I've never been a journalist, a working journalist, but I, you know, my, my degree is in journalism uh, and I work in communications um, for the day job. But um, I, I wonder if you see what you do as, reporting for kids because it strikes me as a uh, as a journalist perspective of you know i've got the byline but this isn't my story that i'm telling there's no there's no mm, um explicit me in what i'm writing implicit yes but not explicit yeah i absolutely i do i definitely think my reporting background i mean i i bring that to my work as a children's author all the time um it's Oh, it's just so much more amazing to do this because I have something to hold in my hands. You know, with with journalism, I would work for days, weeks, sometimes months on a story, and then it would air one time, and no one would ever see it again. Um, and now, granted, I I work a little longer on these things, but. So the reporting that I brought, the research, the interviews, um, and I do whenever possible, I do try to interview people involved, whether they're you know directly involved in the story or experts. Um, and you know then I get to think about these themes and craft a narrative. And two years later, uh, it becomes something that I can hold in my hand and that I know people, you know, they have it on their shelf and hopefully they're reading it more than once and it's in libraries and it's in schools and and teachers are using it as part of the curriculum. And so, 
Yes, absolutely. Uh, the reporting aspect is a very important piece for me, and I definitely bring it to bear here. And I'm just so glad that it lasts longer than those one and done broadcasts or newspaper articles that, you know, people threw them away. This was, I was a newspaper reporter before newspapers were online. So I, I don't know, probably some of this stuff is archived. I love the running theme through this. It's very, it's like you said, very Flintstones-esque. I'm it's old. Very, all this old tech. I love it though. That's the theme. <laughs> I'm old. <laughs> I came up in the same time as you, Elisa. Yeah, of- right? Do you write yeah. strictly nonfiction or have, do you write any fiction or are you just drawn to that nonfiction? Yeah, it's interesting. I, so my first few books have been nonfiction and I, I have a couple of blends coming in. Um, actually one, I, have they been announced? <laughs> They can, have not been you, announced yet. Yeah, right? We'll hedge our bets. Go ahead and just tell us. It's okay, fine. So I can't talk about them. <laughs> I'm just teasing. <laughs> They've not been announced yet. Um, but there, so there are two coming. One in, actually one the end of next year and then one in 2025 that are, are blends of fiction and nonfiction. So they're based on nonfiction elements, but I have turned them into fiction. And then I do have a straight fiction uh, also coming in the pipeline. So none of those have been announced, but it's, I've definitely, I'm, I'm leaning a little more toward the fiction, nonfiction blend and the straight fiction. Um, so I, I think I'll always do nonfiction. I mean, I, I love it so much, but I am, I am, branching out. And also next year, I have an anthology. It's my first young adult book, Dear Younger Me, which is, uh, it's what 35 trailblazing women wish they could have told their younger selves. So that's that's the collective biography. And yeah, so so I'm branching out there too. but alongside all of these other books are are what I have done, and I'm sure what I will continue to do, the straight nonfiction, because um, it is so exciting for me to find a story that resonates and to be able to bring it to life with a narrative that is hopefully engaging and hopefully inspiring um but yeah i do i do have some nonfiction slash fiction and straight fiction in the pipeline okay so i just because it feels like you like you obviously know what you're doing now right so it feels like almost every project you take on sort of like turns to gold <laughs> like it you know like you write this thing and you do the research and it's like yeah, of course it's gonna get published so i guess I just am wondering, like, before you had your first book published, like, what did that journey look like? Was it sort of an easy crossover from journalism to this nonfiction picture book writing? Or did it take kind of a while before you were, you know, agented, published, all that stuff? 
Yeah, I, well, first of all, I've had a lot of rejections. I really have. And, um, and you see the success, but there's a lot of rejection behind that. I have always been writing children's books, you know, starting with the kitten and the Which puppy. is also based on nonfiction, so. Sadly, unpublished. You may have heard of it because I want to call the cop. Um, <laughs> right? Yeah, Josh, show, show a little respect, yeah. dude. We're professionals. <laughs> so I, I've always been, I've always been doing that. Um, I just, I think I wanted, you know, um, the more regimented structure of journalism because it felt a little less vulnerable to me, a, a little less risky to be doing the reporting, gathering the facts, gathering the research, telling other people's stories. And um, I don't know that I had the confidence or the self-trust to follow my gut and throw myself into children's book writing as a career until about seven years ago, which is when I got very serious about submitting to agents. Uh, and so to take that leap, it was really more about, okay, how long am I going to wait before I finally follow what I know in my heart I really want to do? Um, and it, it took a very long time. And I'm, I'm so glad I did. I wish I had done it sooner. But, you know, looking back, I do feel like the reporting, the journalism background, um, I couldn't do what I'm doing without it in the way that I want to be doing it, which is, you know, a lot of, a lot of interviewing, a lot of research-oriented, long-form, um, taking sometimes complex material and making it accessible. So I, I do feel like my journalism background helped, but I definitely wish that I had followed that inner knowing, you know, that, that inner voice a lot earlier that said, do what you love. And, and I hope that's another message too for young readers, because a lot of my protagonists, um, they follow their inner voice and they don't listen to those external voices. And there again is a case where my books maybe are a reflection of who I am and that that's something that I wish I had done a lot earlier is follow that inner compass and listen to that inner voice because that's definitely something that my protagonists do have in common. I was going to say, it keeps reminding me of, I don't know if you guys watch American Ninja Warrior. This is like totally off subject, but <laughs> I I love that show. I applied to be on the show twice, just a side fact. Oh. So. <laughs> Speaking Which of following your dreams. Ridiculous. Yeah. And wow. it was really fun to try. I did not get called up. I did get called for um, a reality TV show called Big Bounce Battle, which never aired, which was supposed to be in Germany. <laughs> I don't know. What about my cool. submission tape said to them? Oh, yeah. We know what to do with her. Let's put her on a giant trampoline and see what happens. So, like, I don't wow. know. Anyways, <laughs> that's a major digression. Okay, my point is 
Jessie Graff, who is this amazing American Ninja Warrior, her whole motto is be your own hero, which I love because she is super strong. She is amazing. And she has this and she has this huge following of these little girls who just watch her to, you know, to be inspired by her. And so she has these wow. T-shirts that they wear, you know, be your own hero. And she just is always like dedicating her runs to these little girls who want to be her, you know, and to her mom. She's always thinking her mom like it's just it's a lot of like raw girl power. Like she's she's amazing. So amazing. I keep thinking of that, you know, like be your own hero. Like that's sort of the underlying yes. theme to what you've been saying all along, right? Like just you know, believe in yourself and and be your own hero. Don't wait for somebody to I save it. you or be your hero, you know? So Absolutely. That's a major take. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. It it's perfect. Absolutely. That that is so important that that kids know they have it inside, that it does not have to come from the outside. Now that that external validation, we can get so caught up in it. And yeah, it, it's so true that we have what we need within. It's just a matter of peeling away those layers where you think that you need the external validation, but really what yeah. we need to do is be trusting ourselves and and you know, back to the beginning with that hidden hope theme of not hiding the truth of who we really are and being brave enough to say, okay, my experience may be different than someone else's experience, but it's, it's okay for me to have that. It's okay for me to show that to the world. Um, yeah, so absolutely. Girl power and trusting that inner voice and being your own hero is amazing. That's a really good uh, conclusion so that we can dismiss you, Elisa, <laughs> and uh, explore Brenna's uh, uh, failed career in Big Bounce Box. <laughs> I was kind of bummed that that did not get followed through on. I was like, cool, call me. <laughs> It never happened. So I think it didn't air or something. I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> I'll see if I can find the old, my old submission tapes in my, in my archives. I made one where I called myself the vegan ninja and I did like all these vegan puns. And I was like, can you find them all? There's like 11 like vegan puns in there. <laughs> oh, that, there's it's your, really there's your book. Oh, right? that's Okay. Okay. Enough about me. So yeah, so we are towards, yeah, we are sort of at the end of, of our time with you. And I just thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And you were so patient with the technological difficulties, even if it was Flintstones. I mean, thank you for, for hanging out and waiting till we got it sorted out. Cause this has been like such a delight and this is going to be such a gem of an episode. I'm so excited for people to listen to this. Well, it has been absolutely my pleasure, and I have to thank you for your patience because I am quite positive that the technical difficulties were absolutely on my end, and <laughs> thank you for bearing with me, and it's really, it's been so much fun. You may contribute a verse. Thanks for listening this week. Find out more about us and our guests and the artists behind our cover and theme music at our websites, verse.show renagenerette.com and joshmontgords.com. See you next verse. Bye.